Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. To the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 24th. Derek Van Riper, L. Melk, you're talking prospects, talking rookies, talking impactful players. We've got news, we've got trending players, we've got a level roundup of low A. We'll take a look at some players mostly playing full season professional ball for the first time and hopefully unearth a dynasty league pickup or two uh, along the way. As we do each and every week, we're going to start with some news, and there was plenty of news since we last spoke on this show, Al. Cardinals, of course, bringing up a couple of their top prospects. Adley Rutschman has made his big league debut. Rowanzi Contreras is back, so lots to get to. Let's start with the Cardinals. We talked about them on the Friday show for a bit going into the weekend from a fab perspective. Nolan Gorman... Seems to be on more solid footing than Matthew Liebertor by comparison because Matthew Liebertor was optioned down and then recalled as a result of a Steven Matz injury in the time since we last spoke. But Gorman has moved into a prominent spot in the lineup and is not showing as much swing and miss as anticipated through four games. So <laughs> that's obviously uh, take, a, take with a huge grain of salt. But I think there's a lot to to dissect with a player like Gorman. And one broader concept, regardless of the type of league that you play in, I've always wondered if the time when a prospect is debuting, that first week, or even if you get news of the call-up, maybe a couple days before it happens, if that window is actually the best possible window to maximize value in a trade. I think in most cases it probably is. And, you know, we could go through the, you know, the, the, big uh the high profile call-ups the last few seasons and see how many met expectations and i'm i'm gonna guess you know it's it's fewer than than uh you know than not um i think you know most most of the call-ups probably haven't uh performed as well as people expected to expected them to do while they were stashing them and yet this is a move i have never attempted to make and i do i think there's i think yeah there's a psychology here that uh, you feel pretty good, you feel pretty smart. That you you drafted this player, you held on to this player. Maybe you feel some attachment. Uh, but and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. Actually, try it. Intense FOMO is likely to occur if you <laughs> have a player that you stashed for either the entire season or a few weeks. That player debuts, and you trade that player away. The argument in favor of making a move like that, though, is that perception of the value of that player. If the league's interest in the, in the player peaks relative to the actual projection, you could end up with a better roster in the end by trading that player away. The example in the case of Gorman, Nolan Gorman's projection, I've got the, the Bat-X rest of season projections up right now. He's projected for a 234-287-402 line. So a 303 Woba. That puts him in the same cluster as Michael Chavis, who was 
pretty widely available in 15-team mixed leagues over the weekend. He's playing a lot right now for the Pirates. Kevin Biggio, who no one really seems to like anymore. Uh, Vidal Brujan, who's more of a speed over power sort of player, different profile. Tyro Estrada, similar to Brujan with the speed he's contributing right now. Uh, Robinson Cano, who no one seems to want anymore. Part of this is just the way projections work and, and young players ending up with these projections that that ground them into a, a low reality. My counter argument to the he's only as good as those guys, though, is that there's more variance on a prospect's projection. At least I believe there's more variance. There's a lot more that can go right, but there's also a lot more that can go wrong. And depending on where you are this season, your risk tolerance, your your interest in, in holding Gorman if you already had him or trading for him, I think rides a lot more on the type of team you've built to this point and where you sit in the standings. I think a player like Gorman makes a lot more sense if you're trying to make up ground than if you're trying to hold a high position in the standings. Yeah, no, I think that absolutely makes sense. And you and I actually were just talking a little bit right before recording, and I was saying that I was only successful in one league in picking up Gorman. And and it, probably not coincidentally, it was the one league where I, I went a, a week earlier instead of waiting for this weekend, this past weekend. Uh, so I got him, you know, relatively cheaply. Uh, and I didn't pick him up because I had a need at second base. I just figured, okay, this is going to be a, a player who's probably going to perform really well, and I'll find a way to get him into the lineup. But also just if I do have surplus, then I can either trade Gorman, which is the scenario that you're bringing up here, or trade, you know, for example, uh, right now I've got Ty France in that second base slot. In that second base slot. So, um, you know, the, it gives me options. It gives me alternatives. And... Um, I think in that kind of situation too, or if you're looking ahead to other prospects that you might pick up in the weeks ahead, uh, you know, go you could go a little extra and fab to pick up that prospect to give yourself some trading possibilities uh, for to fill needs that you really have. Yeah, and I think that's the other way that if you're playing in a league and you don't have Gorman or any of the players we're talking about who debuted, you should look and see who has that player. Because they now have a little bit of excess, most likely. Even if it's a player that they were only using as a temporary fill-in, there's a chance that temporary fill-in player is better than your worst hitter. And there's an even better chance that they were using someone that you really actually kind of like. And they might be willing to deal from their depth, and you might be able to get a trade that actually works really well for both sides. Maybe even one that tilts a little more in your favor value-wise, because the team that has that excess wants to make sure they can have the best possible combination in their lineup all the time. Uh, the other thing on Gorman specifically, you know, just looking at some of the the early, early stat cast numbers, uh, I'm, I'm always looking at max exit velo to see if anything pops there, looking for just the the overall shape of, of what a player is doing. Uh, opponent matters when you're talking about four games. Having a series against the Pirates to begin your big league career actually is it can be a little misleading, so uh, I'm not going to start worrying about the strikeout rate or thinking that he's more 2021 at AAA Gorman than 2022 AAA Gorman until we get a few weeks into his career. I mean, it's going to take three to four weeks before I can start to feel confident in whatever we're beginning to see. I think at that point, we'll have a better read on on how much swing and miss we're going to get from him. But I think it is encouraging to see where they've been hitting him in the lineup to this point. 
Uh, when we spoke on Friday, you were not as high on Matthew Liebertor as I was, and his debut wasn't a particularly good one. Uh, unfortunately for the Cardinals, Stephen Matz uh, left very early on Sunday with a shoulder injury that put him on the IL, so we don't know an exact timetable yet for Matz, but the door is open for Liebertor to make at least a couple of starts. I know the Cardinals have another doubleheader coming up soon, so there was a chance he was going to get that turn anyway. Um, getting a chance to see the pitches in his arsenal and just getting to me getting one start from a pitcher is actually a lot more helpful than getting four games from a hitter. Uh, has anything changed for you with your assessment of Libertor? Well, only in that he does have this opportunity now to to stay in the rotation for at least a little while, which was you know something that we had talked about before, and I just didn't really see the the path. Uh, probably the most likely one was with the Cardinals going uh, to a six man rotation, and when Matz comes back, maybe that is what they do. Maybe Libertor forces the issue by by pitching well in these starts. But other than that, no, I mean I still have the same concerns in that his history of strikeout rates is is decent but not great. And uh, I, I, to me, that may make him somebody that profiles as more of a streamer in 12-team leagues. Obviously, a must-add everywhere else. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that his ceiling is limited. Yeah, I'm looking at the pitches. I mean, we saw a sinker, a four-seamer, a curveball, a slider, and a changeup. Velo kind of in the high 92, low 93 range. Not bad velocity, but not exceptional so I think it is going to come down to the secondaries and how effective those are. The curveball was the secondary that he went to the most. He threw it 28.4% of the time in his debut. Um, I'm looking at him as kind of a fringe top 75 starter right now. Pretty matchup dependent guy in the short term, uh, but definitely curious to see what he does. Probably in leagues where he hasn't been picked up yet as a result of the timing of Matt's injury and everything. I'm still looking at him as a viable 12-team back-end guy. He's just not necessarily someone who's locked into my lineup in that format for each and every start as his big league career gets underway. Uh, we had the debut of Adley Rutschman, Al, and that's been uh, one we've been waiting on for probably a year or so now. Obviously, an injury slowed him down, prevented him from making that debut sooner here in 2022. But I thought it'd be interesting to take Rutschman and just straight-up rank him rest-of-season against the other catchers for redraft purposes because this position tails off really quickly. And I didn't realize just how bad it was until I was looking at projections on Monday. If you look at the top of the projections, again, sorting by WOBA, rest of season for the bat X, I think it's just a good general approximation of how productive we think catchers are going to be. And obviously that's not pure fantasy value because a handful of catchers will steal some bases. But at the top five is, in some order, I think, pretty consistently, now that Sal Perez is hurt, Will Smith, Yasmani Grandal, JT Realmuto, Dalton Varsho, and Wilson Contreras. Like Those guys tend to be in the top five of most projection systems. If Sal's healthy, I think you'd still argue he probably belongs in that conversation, even though it's been a disappointing start to his 2022 season. But then you get to Alejandro Kirk and Mitch Garver, Gary Sanchez, Tyler Stevenson, I don't think it's hard to argue Rutschman being part of that group already, which would put him maybe inside the top 10 at his position the rest of the way. It would make him viable in any format, even if it's a single format, a single catcher format in a 10-team mixed league. I think there's been a case for even a few weeks now to have Adley Rutschman rostered, and I think he's going to be productive enough where he might just stick in that spot the rest of the way. Yeah, and I, I'm with you in terms of where he belongs in the rankings because... 
you know, there is a lot of variability with uh, any of these prospects, but would you rather go for his potential upside versus who's just outside the the top 10 in projected value? You know, you're looking at Sean Murphy, Travis Darnot, Gary Sanchez, uh, catchers like that. And to me, there's, there's absolutely no question that Rutschman belongs uh, in the top 10. So I'm looking at a, a little bit of a different uh, projection rankings than you. I'm looking at the rest of season five by five roto value uh, rankings for Steamer. And I'm looking at Steamer instead of the bad X because I actually think the bad X is a little too conservative on Rutschman. Uh, they've got him projected for 246 average, seven homers, two steals, 35 runs, 34 RBIs. Um, whereas Steamer's got him for a little bit more power. And uh, with their projections, they've got him. 10th, I believe. And that's pretty much where, where I would have them. Uh, I would, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, move a player here and there. I think I would put him ahead of Alejandro Kirk and Steamer doesn't. Uh, but they've actually got Rutschman ahead of Tyler Stevenson and I probably wouldn't go that far. So yeah, he's like ninth or 10th for me right now. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, the auction calculator at Fangraphs is really helpful here because it shows you just how valuable a handful of steals from a catcher can be. Like if you're sorting by straight Woba, Dalton Varsho's fifth. If you're sorting by roto value, Dalton Varsho is second. Um, playing time is the other factor here. As you look at players that are not in that elite of the elite group at the position, it's a lot of guys who have to share playing time. And even though we have the universal DH and some of these guys can coexist in lineups together, Compared to the top-end options and compared to someone like Rutschman, I think a lot of these other players in the 6 to 15 range among catchers can fall to the bottom of that group simply because someone else on that roster takes a significant share of their playing time. Toronto's probably the best example of it right now, mm -hmm. where Alejandro Kirk gets chances to DH, and Danny Jansen is there. They've got a prospect still coming up. Zach Collins is, is hanging around on that depth chart. I mean, it's just it's kind of a mess there. Um, you look at a team like Texas, where Mitch Garver and Jonah Heim mostly can coexist, with Heim being the great defender behind the plate and Garver being more of the DH. But those situations would be better if those guys had the position to call their own as opposed to having to share time over two different positions the way that they do so I think that's the other part of of Rutschman that makes him pretty appealing for our purposes yeah no I absolutely agree playing time is definitely not going to be a concern for him and uh you know the skills I, th I think he measures up with uh you know all the the catchers that are in that that uh, I guess we call it the second tier and more upside than, than probably any of them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's a robust news day, to uh, say the least, for the prospects section of the show. Uh, so I want to get to another catcher item. I mentioned Gabriel Moreno. He had a wrist injury at AAA. Fortunately, he is back in the lineup. He just hit his first home run of the season at the level as well. I don't think I've got him stashed in any mixed leagues right now because even if he gets the call, I'm just not as confident in the playing time for Moreno from the jump as I am for Rutschman. I think there is a, a lot of potential impact in his bat, but the way the role is likely to shake out initially is a big part of why I don't think he's necessarily a good stash at the moment. I, I'm with you on that too. And he's been off to, uh, even though overall the, the stat line is good, uh, as you alluded to, just hitting his first home run. So the power's not really been there for Moreno, uh, hitting for a good average, but the average is a little bit suspect. So uh, yeah, I, I could I definitely see him getting a call up and it's not like a Kansas City situation where you've got two catchers, but you've got a DH and you can kind of sort of work it out. And I'm talking, of course, when Perez is healthy, um, but you, you've got, you know, three catchers splitting it two ways. And then you've got somebody who's already having some struggles at AAA. So I could see him maybe going up and down. And uh, yeah, Moreno's definitely not been a priority for me up to this point. Let's get to a few other news-related items. Uh, Aaron Ashby looks like he's going to get an opportunity in the Brewers rotation, probably an extended one because Freddie Peralta uh, walked off the mound in his last start with a shoulder injury. They're calling it a posterior shoulder strain. But the way they were talking about it uh, Monday when Craig Council was addressing the media made it seem like there's a a 60-day IL stint in play. They expect Peralta to pitch again this season. Uh, When the timetable is this season, uh, you just expect it to be months instead of weeks. So at the very least, Aaron Ashby, I would say for the rest of May and probably all of June, pretty safely going to have a shot to hold down a spot in this Brewers rotation. I'm just curious what you make of him overall. I mean, he's had a few longer appearances this year. He's gone at least four innings on four occasions. I think the longest appearance of the season was five and two-thirds against the Pirates back on April 27th. He had six Ks, five walks, and that's kind of been the problem for Ashby. 34 Ks and 28 to 30 innings this season, 17 walks. And control has been an issue for him in the upper levels of the minor leagues pretty much everywhere he's been since low A Wisconsin. What do you make of Ashby in redraft leagues, and uh, and what types of leagues are you going to be pursuing him the most? Uh, Twelve teamers, <laughs> twelve teamers. I, obviously, if he's in anything deeper and he's still available, I'm going to be pursuing Ashby and bidding a lot uh, because I look at the profile that he's built over the parts of of these uh, last two seasons where he's been up with the Brewers, and the numbers are incredible. And you you brought up the walks, and that was my initial thinking was, all right, well. He, he can get strikeouts. He gets a ton of ground balls. I love that combination, and, and who doesn't? But yeah, what about the walks? And it's a bit of a mystery as to why he's walking so many batters, particularly this year. Last year, he fell behind in the count a lot. But both last year and this year, an exceedingly high chase rate, uh, above 35% in both seasons. Um, doesn't you, you did you, you were correct in saying I mean, he's got a bit of a control issue, uh, just under forty percent uh, zone percentage this year, but that's not horrific. Um, it doesn't quite match up with the walk rates, so I, I have to wonder if maybe there's some improvement coming there. And when you look at the rest of the profile for Ashby so far in the major leagues, so he's given us sixty innings so far, and, and granted a lot of that's been in relief, so you you take it with a little bit of grain. 
But over those 60 innings, 33.1% CSW is outstanding. Chase rate of 36.2%, outstanding. A ground ball rate of 62.9%, elite. And even when he's in the rare cases where he's allowing the fly ball, 91.7 miles per hour average exit velocity on flies and liners, which is much better than average. There's no part of his profile that's even mediocre right now. Yeah, I think the quality of the contact that he allows is something that offsets the walk concerns quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You can look at the walk rate and go, oh, there's, terrible, there's a terrible whip risk here. I don't think it's as bad as you'd think for the reasons that you outlined. And the Ks, I mean, there's plenty of K potential. I guess you could look at him right now and say, with the usage so far, maybe it takes a couple of turns before he's used enough to get five innings consistently. Maybe that's part of the the shorter-term concern. But impact pitching has been fairly difficult to come across so far on the waiver wire this year. And I think Ashby is that kind of player. So long as he has a spot, is it fair to consider him? I mean, let's just compare him to Matthew Liebertor. Like, let's just let's equalize opportunity. Let's just say we we find out that Liebertor is going to get a, a similar run for the next five to six weeks. Are you taking Ashby over Liebertor straight up? I am absolutely, and and understanding that Liebertor probably is in a better position to give you good starts in the short term, go deeper into games, but. Uh, Libertor for me would definitely be a contingent bid behind Ashby. Yeah, by projection, Aaron Ashby actually rest of season comes out pretty close to Michael Kopech, Jordan Montgomery, uh, Zach Eflin, Jordan Hicks, even Charlie Morton. I think Charlie Morton might be a little under projected right now, uh, but that actually points more toward a, a top 50 starting pitcher on a per start basis. Again, with the caveat that it might not be right away for him to get his workload in start to the level that you're expecting from a lot of those those other names. I'm wondering if we're going to have a similar issue with Rowanzi Contreras. He is back up for the Pirates, and now that it's been almost two months into the season where he's been managed pretty carefully, do you think the Pirates are at the point now where they're looking at his overall season workload and they're willing to let him work more like a traditional starter the rest of the way because eventually they could hit a point in September and, and shut him down. Obviously, the Pirates aren't going anywhere anytime soon, but uh, are you are you beginning to ease some of the concerns relative to what we had earlier this year when Contreras was stuck in the Pirates' bullpen? I suppose less so just because of the, the passage of time and the increasing likelihood that there's not going to be a, a, a major concern about workload. Uh, I'll certainly be watching closely uh, here on Tuesday night because uh, Contreras is, uh, I have not seen it officially listed yet, but he is reportedly going to uh, to be the Pirates starter against the Rockies on Tuesday night. So um, you know, we'll get our first indication there apparently. And uh, kind of take it from there. I mean, if he if he pitches well, but only goes you know four plus, uh, I'm still going to have some concerns. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take a cue from how how he's used initially. I think the most encouraging thing I can offer you is that the last time he pitched at AAA Indianapolis, he went five and two thirds innings, faced a season high twenty three batters in that game, only allowed two earned runs, struck out four, only walked one. The overall body of work at AAA was good. Plenty of strikeouts, not a lot of hard contact, a little bit of a walk issue, but I don't think there's really a control problem here. Either the command grades over at Fangraphs on Contreras or even a notch above 
Ashby's command grade for, for what it's worth. Uh, if you're looking at those two side by side and trying to prioritize them, is it Ashby over Contreras or Contreras over Ashby for you? Uh, it's For me, it is Ashby over Contreras, uh, and if for no other reason, just because of the team context. That uh, especially in leagues where the team context matters more, where you're getting rewarded for for wins, uh, then to me, there's there's uh, definitely a, a gap there. Just a couple of uh, minor notes to throw out here. Nick Lodolo apparently not close to a return as he tries to come back from a back injury, so still probably a few weeks away from uh, his actual opportunity back in that Reds rotation. And I saw that the Twins are giving Royce Lewis a look both at third base and in left field at AAA. So uh, might be more paths than one for Lewis to get back onto the roster for the Twins this season. Let's get to a few trending players, and we'll go to another catcher, William Contreras. His roster rates continue to tick up, and he is among the players in one of those tricky situations where Travis Darno is not going to go away. Travis Darno is good enough to play. They have to share that spot and kind of work through the DH spot. But is what we're seeing from William Contreras real? Are you intrigued by this profile that he's bringing to the table this year with six homers already in his first 11 games for Atlanta this season? You know, we've seen situations like this where a player gets called up and they do something at the major league level that you would never expect based on the minor league numbers. <laughs> this is kind of absurd. Contreras uh, had, he didn't hit for a ton of power last year. This year, excuse me, at Gwinnett, made 51 plate appearances, did not homer. He still has just 42 plate appearances with Atlanta. He already has those six homers. So uh, part of me is tempted to say, well, it's not, maybe it's real, but it's not sustainable. But in, in a very important sense, it is real because he's hitting with exit velocity uh, on flies and liners that's uh, matched by very, very few hitters so far this year. 98.7 miles per hour average exit velocity on flies and liners. So he's hitting the ball really hard, making a lot of really great contact. Uh, I, I am skeptical about how it will last, but if nothing else, just ride ride the wave for as long as it lasts. Yeah, I've been expecting him to kind of top out in two-catcher formats. I don't know if we're going to get enough of a role. I know he started in left field and hit second on Monday night. I don't know if we're going to see enough playing time for him to get all the way into the single-catcher league fixture level. Maybe you could go, if you've been chasing, streaming, kind of go by, by the schedule, throw him in there for a little while. But... Ugh, just because we haven't seen this level of power from him or anything even really close to it in the minor leagues, I am trying to temper my expectations. I think it's good news if you have him in a keeper or a dynasty league. I mean, I think that's that's where you're probably the most excited right now because you've probably been waiting for a couple of years to see uh, some signs of growth and to be excited. Travis Darno is 33 years old. Uh, he does have a, a two-year deal he's on right now, so he's around next year too. So the playing time situation doesn't necessarily get a lot better next season, barring some kind of off-season trade. But I do think the the longer-term future looks a little bit better for Wilson or for William Contreras now than it did um, even just a month or so ago. Uh, we often talk about pitchers in the Marlins system. It's been a, a tough few weeks for Max Meyer, who's now on the IL with ulnar nerve irritation in his arm. The good news for the Marlins, though, Edward Cabrera has pitched really well. And we've talked about Meyer as someone that was pretty high on our priority list as a possible pitching stash in redraft leagues. And given that he's hurt, if you haven't made that decision to drop him in redraft leagues, I think you can at least consider it at this point. How interested are you in Edward Cabrera 
given that he is now healthy and pitching well at AAA. Pretty darn interested, uh, partly because of how well Cabrera has pitched lately. And you can certainly, you can cut him some slack for the first couple of starts that he made this year because he was getting a late start because of a biceps injury. He didn't make his first start until, until late April. But really rounding into form, his last three starts, 15 and two-thirds innings total, 25 strikeouts, just five walks. That's really the number I think a lot of us were watching, a couple of homers. Uh, so good ratios all the way around. And also, this Marlins rotation looks a little bit uh, more open than it did a couple weeks ago because you've got the injury to Jesus Luzardo. He may not be out for, for that long, but at least for the time being, that creates a potential opening. Uh, we've talked a bit about Eliezer Hernandez as maybe an obvious candidate uh, for demotion to a lesser role. Uh, and then there's Trevor Rogers. I mean, you have to wonder how long the Marlins might stick with him. He has options remaining. Uh, so I, I see a few different paths here. Yeah, the struggles of Rogers probably merit further exploration on a future podcast because that was a, a downturn that I I didn't see coming. I am... Lucky that I don't have him anywhere this season. It was not a a fade. It was not a a guy that I I thought was overpriced. I just just went different directions when uh, when those picks came up in snake drafts and and allocated resources differently in the uh, salary cap draft situations. But uh, I'm with you on Cabrera. I think he is probably at least in the mix. If you're thinking about your five possible stash options he'd at least be on the list I think Grayson Rodriguez is still number one on that list for me he's number one on that list for a lot of people because he's now rostered in over 50 percent of CBS leagues I'm guessing the uptick in interest probably has something to do with Rutschman coming up because if Rutschman is up you know what are you waiting for why wouldn't you bring up Grayson Rodriguez if you're the Orioles makes a lot of sense he's got nothing left to prove and I think we could find a path for Grayson Rodriguez in the Orioles rotation yeah, definitely like what he brings to the table. K-rate off the charts good yet again at AAA, 38.6%. Walk rate up just slightly. No real home run issue to speak of. A sub-3 ERA, a sub-1 whip. That's been the case everywhere Grayson Rodriguez has pitched going back to 2019. Just amazing numbers in the minor leagues. Looks like a, a special talent. So if you happen to be in one of those leagues, one of those uh, random 40-ish percent of a redraft leagues where Grayson Rodriguez isn't stashed, this would be a very good time to go ahead and get him onto your roster because I think he could be one of the biggest impact pitchers of this year. You think about Shane McClanahan and Alec Manoa and some of those guys that came up last year and were really good. That's the level of expectation that I think you can almost rightfully have with Grayson Rodriguez given the mix of stuff and the opportunity and that the Park at Camden Yard is not playing nearly as hitter-friendly with the adjustments they've made. I think that bodes really well for a pretty quick adjustment, even though he'll catch plenty of tough matchups being in the AL East. A couple more trending players, two Dodgers. Michael Bush creeping up over a 10% roster rate on CBS, and Miguel Vargas just uh, just under 15% right now. I'm curious if you see either one of those guys getting an opportunity to crack the Dodgers lineup before at the end of this season. Well, I think an injury could bring either one up, at least temporarily. But I think in terms of uh, an opportunity that wouldn't depend on an injury and that could maybe be for a longer stretch, I think Vargas has got the better shot because you've got two players that he could supplant or at least take some playing time from who aren't hitting, and that's Max Muncy and Justin Turner. And Justin Turner's already been moved off a of third base. So to me, that maybe could bode for, for uh, 
a reduction in in his uh, in his role at some point. But I think between the two of those players, that there's room for Vargas to come in and and uh, take a, a pretty substantial role, and he's certainly uh, <laughs> making a good case for it in AAA. And for Bush, I thought initially, yeah, maybe you know what, what's there to lose without maybe giving him a shot in place of Gavin Lux. But looking at Lux, I mean, the numbers are not what we're accustomed to seeing as, you know, really useful major league numbers, but he has a 104 WRC plus. So I think that just kind of reflects the offensive environment so far. Lux also obviously valuable uh, defensively. So he's he's got almost uh, one win of uh, F4 already so far this season, Lux. So I think that he's probably well settled in there at second base and, and Bush will have a harder time uh, cracking the lineup. Yeah, I think Vargas has a, a better chance of getting the call. He's, I mean, he's a little ahead of Bush just in terms of where they started this season. I think there's a higher ceiling there. I think there might even be a higher floor for Miguel Vargas. And I think the Turner situation is the the path that makes a little more sense. If they want to move Turner into a smaller role in the weeks ahead and Vargas continues to hit at AAA, I think there is a good chance that he comes up and, and makes an impact immediately. So definitely a guy to be excited about and maybe not quite as on the radar as Nolan Gorman was as a stash. So now that Gorman is up, Vargas might be that next hitter that you can think about putting on the bottom of your roster, hoping to get some value later on this season. Let's get to our level roundup. We're going to focus on the low A leagues for this week. And Al, I think we got to talk about Jordan Lawler, who is fifth in WRC plus at the level of 176 mark so far, thanks to a 352 461 600 line to this point. Uh, when I see numbers like that through the first you know, two months of the season, I think we're talking about a player that probably ends up getting to split his first full season in professional ball between low A and high A. I think that promotion might just be a few weeks away for Lawler. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I would think there's not much of a reason to, to keep him down in uh, Class A, regular Class A. Uh, and, you know, as a, a first rounder from last year, I mean, somebody who you figure is, is probably going to move pretty quickly and uh, definitely somebody who has to be rostered uh, in, in all the dynasty formats. Yeah, already rostered pretty much in any sort of keeper league. I would say maybe there are some. Some of those leagues out there that are hold three or have some kind of restriction in the number of prospects where you have to get to a really high level on a prospect list to be stashed away, maybe there's a handful of leagues like that where Lawler's not rostered. But I think the way he has started his full season career, I think that might bump him into consideration for those precious spots as well. He's 18 for 21 as a base dealer. He's got seven home runs as well. So if you want to see Jordan Lawler at low A, you better do it soon because I don't think he's going to be there much longer. Another Dodgers prospect, shocker, Diego Cartaya, uh, playing at the low A level right now. A catcher, so it, it could be a while before we're talking about him on the big league radar. We know catchers can often take a lot longer. Eight homers in 28 games, though, for Cartaya so far. 254, 384, 535 line. Hits the ball in the air a ton. I think the only real skills flaw that you see at a glance is just a bit of swing and miss. But given the age to level, I'm not as worried about a 29% K rate for Cartaya as I would be for a player that was... 21 or 22 years old at the same level. The only caveat I would have um, you know, issued here with Cartaya is the, the one that you already have that because of being a catcher may take them a little bit longer. And also just the fact that in repeating class a, that 
he's um, actually done a little worse offensively this year than last year, but still, like you said, putting up great numbers, uh, but not, also not necessarily forcing the issue for a, a quick promotion either. So uh, just be patient with Kartaya, but again, a, another uh, must roster player for, for Dynasty. A great dynasty league catcher, if especially if you're in a two catcher league, I think even in a one catcher dynasty league, there's going to be enough power in this bat as he continues to advance where the payoff is probably going to be worth it. 18 homers now in 59 games between this season and last season at the low A level. I've got a couple of deep sleepers, one on the hitting side, Adele Amador, a shortstop in the Rockies organization. It feels like the Rockies prospects have been getting a lot of love on this show throughout the season, but Amador is a switch hitting shortstop showing a little more power than expected. He's got six homers this year. He's got a 312, 417, 493 line and plate skills that really kind of stood out to me, a 14.2% walk rate and a 14.2% K rate during his first full season assignment. Definitely the kind of guy that if you're in a deep, deep dynasty league might actually be on the wire as an easy, quick pickup. Sure. And one week, you know, you talk about giving love to the Rockies prospects and whenever I see a prospect putting up numbers like this in the minors, and I think we'll just wait till they get to Coors Field. And yet, you know, in recent years, it's not like, uh, you know, the prospects that we thought that once they got to Coors that they, they did just blow up there. So, Maybe that's that's a little bit of uh, analysis that that's a little too easy, but uh, I, I'm still tempted. I have to admit. Yeah, just like switch hitter, uh, just kind of does a little bit of everything. Six for nine is a base stealer as well, so could be an interesting name to follow as he moves up through the system. Turned 19 back in April. Curious to see if they give him some run at high A later on this summer. A few pitching uh, names that really stood out to me as I was doing some leaderboard surfing. Christian Mena in the White Sox organization, I believe that's Canapolis that he's pitching at right now, leads the low A level. He's got a 32% strikeout minus walk rate. If you're looking for a good catch-all number to just see how a player is performing on the pitching side, K minus BB percentage, pretty high up on my list. Uh, ERA under two, whip under one. Looks like a guy that's probably going to get a promotion sooner rather than later to see how he fares at the high A level. And I think the key for Mena, based on some of the reports I was reading, is going to be fastball velocity. I think previously, that was one thing that kind of kept him from really popping in a lot of the White Sox prospect write-ups. Yeah, um, but you know, given that uh, he's doing this as a 19-year-old, uh, would think that he would be getting a promotion really soon and... Just see how these numbers translate as he as he climbs the ladder. I wish we, it was easier to watch prospects from afar because it would it would help, right? If we could get more than Twitter clips or the occasional games that come through on MILB TV, it would go a really long way. Uh, command was the other thing in the scouting profile that previously had a pretty low grade. So far, so good in that regard, just from a pure number scouting perspective, because in addition to having a good low walk rate that's improved since last season, Mena hasn't really had any issues giving up home runs to this point in the season either. The other name on the pitching side comes from the Angels system, another Angels pitcher. Angels pitchers and then Rockies getting love on this show? What is what is going on? What's <laughs> happening in the world? Alejandro Hidalgo has a K rate above 30%, might have two possible pitches for swings and misses with the curveball and the changeup, and possibly better command than previously expected. Uh, just turned 19 over the weekend, but another guy that is off to a great start at low A, 
probably going to see some time at high A later on this summer and is probably going to start creeping up top prospect lists as a result. Yeah. Um, the, the walk rate uh, maybe just slightly, slightly elevated, uh, something to watch. But yeah, a lot to like here. And uh, again, hopefully we get to see him at a higher level soon. Yeah, so two names that were not on my radar to begin the season on the pitching side, and of course one in Adele Amador, the switch-hitting shortstop from the Rocky system. So really three sort of sleepers. I think Mena and Hidalgo have been uh, drawing a little bit of interest in dynasty circles throughout the season with the start that they are off to. Uh, we are going to go. Before I go, I should say be sure to check out The Athletic. If you don't have a subscription, you can get one for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash podcast. That gets you access to everything that we're writing across fantasy baseball, regular baseball, uh, playoff hockey, playoff basketball, if that's your thing. If getting ready for football season is your thing, we cover all of that at the site. So $1 a month for the first six months, theathletic.com slash podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMilkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Wednesday with Under the Radar. 